106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. What it says about Congressman Cummings' district. that no human would want to live there. You know who did, Mr. President? I did. From the day I was brought home from the hospital to the day I left for college. And a lot of people I care about still do. There are challenges, no doubt. But people are proud of their community. I don't want to sound self-righteous, but people get up and go to work there. They care for their families there. They love their children who pledge allegiance to the flag, just like people who live in districts of congressmen who support you, sir. They are Americans, too. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, bah. are you seriously crying over a tweet? Seriously, over a tweet. Now, what you should be crying about is the fact that Elijah Cummins has been in office for over 30 to 40 years and has not done anything for the black community, has not done anything for West Baltimore. So you should be crying about that. And you should have been crying when you found out the first black president did not do anything for the black community. You should have been crying when you found out Obama did not help out and do anything for the communities that you grew up in that you crying about, okay? And you talking about, well, I grew up there, Mr. President. And from the time I was born, I lived there from the time that I went to college. Well, why didn't you stay there? Why did you move? Huh? Why did you move? Exactly, because you didn't want to live around rats and roaches. That's why you left. If you don't like Trump said with your chest, you ain't got to cry about it. You don't have to cry about it. Good day to you. This is Lou Benninger, and you're listening to No Hostages Radio. This is our 18th episode, and it is playing on August 3rd. That's as soon as you can listen to it. But because it's a podcast and the phenomenon of podcasts, you can dip in whenever you want. If you're uh, not sure how you found us, but you could always go to our website at nohostagesradio.com and pick up old podcasts or read some of my articles. I write two articles a week for the Territorial Dispatch, which is a weekly that's on the internet and also hard copy out here in Northern California. So that's one way you can get us, but you may have stumbled across us. Maybe somebody said, hey, just go to a podcast uh, source you have, iTunes or whatever, and go to No Hostages Radio, and you found us. And So welcome, if this is your first shot at us, and uh, we do this once a week, and it's posted on usually Saturday mornings or early, 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 but it pops up on Saturday mornings, kind of to match a radio show that I once did. 
That was live radio, <clears throat> AM, FM. So uh, we're here for about, oh, it's working out to about two hours and 20 minutes nowadays. And uh, we were doing a little longer, but it, I thought it was too long. We thought it was too long. Uh, the tech, uh, my tech help, Tanner Martis out of Texas. But I'm here in Northern California, up in uh, Yuba County, broadcasting. And uh, it's one of 58 counties up in the rural north, if you're unfamiliar with California. The, the north, we call the north, you know, some people think it's uh, anything north of the grapevine, which is uh, just above L.A. But we think of the north like uh, north of San Francisco. And uh, it's pretty rural up here. In fact, uh, when you get north of uh, Bakersfield, uh, and the, what they call the grapevine over the Tehachapi Mountains, it gets pretty agricultural. Uh, with a couple big cities like the Bay Area is a big, uh, big population center, very liberal. Uh, but we uh, up here in the far north, we are very sparsely populated. So in Yuba County, we're probably we probably have about seventy five thousand people, and it just gets. Uh, some of these counties maybe have 20,000, 30,000 people, so it gets pretty sparse, but beautiful country and uh, beautiful weather year-round. We do have four seasons, but uh, farming, uh, mining, timber used to be timber, you know, uh, just some nice, nice area, nice recreation up here. But uh, we uh, we were very interested in Northern California. Uh, the 24 counties of the North would like to become a separate state called the State of Jefferson. You can look that up, State of Jefferson. And if you're interested in getting involved in that, uh, that's something that some of us have put some energy into over the last few years, State of Jefferson. We're not really stuck on what you're going to call the state. We're not trying to leave the union. We like the United States. We just want to leave California because of the crazy uh, political control. California is such a big state that it it has very unique uh, changes in topography as well as politics. And in the big uh, population areas of Southern California, they have a lot different problems than we have in Northern California. So many times... The Southern California politics are the thing that controls Northern California life. And we'd rather have Northern California politics control Northern California life. The way the uh, representation at the state capitol works out is if uh, we're 100% in unity in the 24 counties in the north, uh, and all want the same thing. Only one county, Los Angeles County in the south, in terms of its numbers of representatives, because of its high population, can outvote us. Isn't that interesting? Just the representatives, because we have so few representatives, because both the Senate of California and the Assembly of California are all based on population. That's different than the federal model, where the Senate is based on two representatives per state. What we'd like to have if we wanted to change California is one Senate representative per county. That would give us 58 and then have the rest done by population. But both are by population. So that therefore the sparsely populated parts of California get no representation to speak of. Uh, In other words, they don't have a say really in anything. Had lunch with one of my friends uh, this week and and we were talking about the the, uh, 
a number of things, but one of the difficulties uh, of the times that we're facing. It's been on my mind for the last 24 hours. Uh, he and I have worked at uh, guiding a church for many years, a couple decades in uh, Yuba County area or Sutter County area. Yuba Sutter is really like one big county. At the Twin Cities, uh, the county seats of the two counties are a river apart, so it's really one community. But we've uh, worked on a project here for almost 30 years, and so we were talking about the state of affairs in the nation and California, and, and I was thinking, what can a person do? You know, a lot of people ask, what can we do? You know, Gavin Newsom, the governor of the state of California, they just passed a law and they're just passing one law after another. It's really a totalitarian government at this point in California. They're just, it's run off the rails. And they passed a law that unless the president, current president of the United States, Donald Trump, releases his tax returns, he's not allowed to go on the ballot in California. So the, the Democrats run California right now, <clears throat> and they have for about over four decades, actually. And so they, one day they talk out one side of their mouth, like they're, they're really concerned about the conservatives suppressing votes. In other words, they don't want any voter ID laws. They don't want anybody to ask anybody who they are or why they should be voting or why they have a right to vote. And then on the other hand, they'll pass a law to basically outlaw anybody that is a supporter of Donald Trump by removing him from the ballot because he will not give up his tax return. You may or may not know this, but there's no requirement in the Constitution of the United States that any candidate produce a tax return. Uh, so that means uh, it sets a really weird pe precedent. Uh, it's an unconstitutional precedent. And any state in the union uh, could now, like Texas or big, big electoral vote states, could now add on. Uh, they could add on their own extracurricular, extra uh, outside the law requirements to go on their ballot, depending on who's in power in their state. And if they don't like the candidate that's running from the opposition party, it's totally a takeover and a suppression of the of the of the conservative vote that would vote for Trump. Now you might think, well, he's not going to win anyway in California. He's not going to win the electoral votes. That's probably true. However, there is a counting of the popular vote, and and it does weigh um, in these arguments over whether the popular vote should take precedence over the electoral vote or whether we should eliminate the electoral college. What we found out, uh, the the explanation of the last election in 2016 was Hillary Clinton supposedly won the popular vote. I don't think she actually did. I think it was uh, a manipulated vote by Google and Facebook. And I think that uh, Trump actually won both the electoral and the popular vote by a landslide. But uh, they manipulated the votes through uh, big tech media. And I think they're going to try to do that again. But nonetheless, uh, what we're seeing here is, uh, you know, we've talked about voter fraud where somebody votes with somebody else's ballot or they vote twice or they vote five times or they they do something crazy, stupid. But 
this this is taken when when you say that the president of the United States or any candidate uh, you create extra lawful or unlawful uh, requirements for a candidate to run for office that is uh, that is amazingly corrupt and so uh, what I was thinking about in in the state of affairs and what you can do. Cause some people say, what can I do? You know, I can vote. Well, I don't, and some people say, I don't even want to vote. It's no, it's a waste of time. Other people say I vote, but that's just one shot every two years or every four years, depending on the, the level of the election. But I want to suggest something that you can do. And what you can do is become far more informed than you are. One of the, the biggest dangers in, in our country is, it was ignorance. And uh, so what I'm suggesting to you is that uh, you need to solve that problem. And so, so many people don't know what's going on. And uh, so they simply vote the wrong way. They're clueless. And they get hustled by fake news. And uh, they just miss out. And they actually end up doing the exact opposite as they want to do. And um, so I want to give you some, I'm going to give you a couple directives. And if you'll take a pen or something to write with and write these down, I want you to become, I think, uh, you know, it's one thing to become just worldly wise and know what's shaken in your community. I'm not sure what community you're in right now, because some of my friends have moved to other states, other communities. But whatever community we're in, whatever state, we have a federal, a United States federal constitution that is guiding, is supposed to be guiding um, the affairs of these 50 states. And unfortunately, because of the dumbing down of our socialist government schools, and the, the founder of them uh, was a socialist before he died. And uh, he believed in uh, eradicating any spirituality or any teaching of the Bible. And in other words, watering down the, the, um, the teaching in the schools of our of like civics, social studies, government. And so most young people and, uh, and it, also those that became old that were young and and didn't get education along like I got education in the 60s about the constitution and there's plenty of ways you can get in fact I got a uh, a Betsy Ross flag t-shirt sent to me by a friend this week and in the box uh, was a bunch of little tiny uh, you could hold it in your hand a constitution and I've been thinking about that and how little we know about the Constitution. And some people feel like uh, President Arne at Hillsdale College, uh, which is a great college in Michigan, he really believes that if, one, if we all became more acquainted or more familiar with the Constitution of the United States, we would be much more equipped to fight evil and to fight socialism, communism in our country. So I'm going to give you three sources uh, these are very easy on the Internet to tap into. Uh, the Hillsdale College has, uh, I think it's a 10-week. I don't know whether the, the week means it's 
it's one hour a day or three hours a week or whatever, but it's free online education on the Constitution. These guys are the aces in the United States on the Constitution. Hillsdale College is a great place to send your kids. It's uh, no foolishness. It's really a great education. Hillsdale College, Hills, it's just like H-I-L-L-S-D-A-L-E dot E-D-U. That's the website, Hillsdale dot E-D-U. And you can you can find out right there how you can send your kids to college there, how you can get free courses online. Great source of information. You'll hear it advertised on uh, places like Rush Limbaugh, etc., like that. Also, a lady that uh, these next two, both of these people we've had speak at the church I attend here in uh, Sutter County, in Yuba City, and one is Chris Ann Hall. She once was, I believe, a state attorney for the uh, state of Florida until she fell out of favor because she was a conservative. And that's when the Tea Party uh, was developing, and she began to speak at a lot of Tea Party events, and they asked her, the state asked her to quit. So she did, and she started her own uh, organization trying to educate people on the Constitution. She does a lot of speaking around the United States. If you'd be interested in having her, you can reach her through this website. But she uh, does a lot of analysis. I would play more of it on my uh, podcast, but they're usually 30 to 40 minute long. And she really gets into the weeds and teases out the details on a lot of these decisions, both conservative and uh, liberal, and matches them up to whether they're constitutional or not. And it's fascinating, even even amongst the conservatives, how few of the uh, decisions are Uh, in line with the Constitution. So Chris Ann Hall, that's all one word, K-I-R-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L. That's her full name, chrisannhall.com. Chris Ann Hall, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com. She's a wonderful lady. Her husband, I don't know if her husband still passes a church or not, but uh, they're a great couple, met them both. Uh, she's very, very bright. We've had her do a seminar, a constitutional seminar at our church before. Also, uh, Jake McCauley uh, runs Institute on the Constitution. Jake also is a great guy. He's spoken here locally in the Yuba Center area twice for us. And uh, again, just common spelling, instituteontheconstitution.com. Institute on the Constitution.com. Both or all three of those sources are fantastic. Uh, they are just giving you the straight goods on the Constitution. And uh, Chris Ann Hall gets into some more analysis. You, there's lots of stuff on her website, uh, analysis on what's going on today, how it, how it matches up with the Constitution. She's really not so much liberal or conservative it's just simply listen we need to be governed by the constitution here's what it says and here's the decisions of the congress or something something and this is how it does not or does match up with the constitution so chrisannhall.com hillsdale.edu and institute on the constitution.com listen if there's one thing we all can do we can bone up we can freshen up on the constitution and become really aware of what's going on around us. Otherwise, we're going to have our freedom, our right, our liberty, our rights and our liberty stolen right out from under us, and we're going to be asleep at the asleep at the wheel. So uh, again, this is episode 18, August 3rd. Uh, 
you can reach me if you want to communicate with me very easy. It's just Lou, L-O-U, at nohostagesradio.com. That's plural, not hostage, but hostages. Lou at nohostagesradio.com. And also you could text me at 530-713-1838. All right. So um, I wanted to... um, because we just well, let me just mention this now. After we go get back from the break, I take a break about every twenty minutes just to get a swig of water and uh, play a few clips for you uh, that I think are very relevant. I've got a lot of clips today, a couple extra that I think uh, I normally don't play in the middle of a segment, but I do have some today that I think are very relevant and important to listen to. And uh, But I'm going to come back after the break, and I'm going to talk about why the Founding Fathers despised democracy. And that's uh, very interesting, and, and uh, I loved it when I read it, so I thought, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass this along. But I just want to read a couple comments here. It, uh, Katie Pavlich said, As Elizabeth Warren closes the night with complaints about the cost of college for students— which this is relating to the uh, debates. Just remember, she was paid $400,000 to teach one class. That's one of the things wrong with our college is we teach, we, many people, county administrators, city administrators, and college professors get paid like prima donnas. So Katie Pavlich, I'll say it again, as Elizabeth Warren closes the night, of debates with complaints about the cost of college for students. Just remember, she was paid $400,000 to teach one of her classes in law school. Those translate out to high tuition rates. And this is another thing about Twitter. Don't know whether you use Twitter or not, but I have a lot of respect for Arthur Brooks, who wrote a number of books, but uh, I think he's working with the American Enterprise Institute. He wrote Why, uh, Who Really Cares? He said, for the record, only 22% of U.S. adults are on Twitter, and 80% of the tweets come from 10% of the users. That means about, well, I'll go on. Uh, he says, if you rely on Twitter for political information, you're being informed by pundits residing with 2.2% of the population. Isn't that amazing? 2.2%. And if you're getting false information on Twitter, it's a big old problem. So he says only 22% of adults use Twitter, and 80% of the tweets come from 10% of the users. In other words, most people aren't that active. If you rely on Twitter for political information, you're being informed by... uh, self-proclaimed pundits residing with 2.2% of the entire population. So we'll be right back and uh, just give me a a second, but I have, uh, let me see what I got for you here. I didn't print this out. So let me just look at it. I got, uh, I've got the save California minute coming up uh, from Randy Thomason. Both save California minutes today are very, very, very good. Randy Thomason at SaveCalifornia.com. If you're a Californian, you want to stay hooked into Randy Thomason. And then the next clip is Baltimore is corrupt. So we'll be right back.
Domestic Enemies? I'm Randy Thomason with your SaveCalifornia.com Minute. The Democrat politicians that control the California legislature are pushing some truly awful bills, requiring an abortionist phone number on public school student ID cards, forcing UC and CSU to offer abortion pills without medical supervision, forcing children already hurt by vaccines to be further damaged with more shots, requiring public school teachers to be sexually brainwashed to further brainwash school kids, making foster parents use girls' names for sexually confused boys and boys' names for sexually confused girls, permitting sexually confused male convicted criminals to be housed with female prisoners with zero concern for women's safety. Now you know who your domestic enemies are, the Democrat politicians pushing these wicked bills. See more at SaveCalifornia.com, fighting the good fight for your values in California. Give us this day our daily fixation. Mr. President, hear our prayer. And the daily fixation is, ding, 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 Baltimore and the rats. The president had three succulent wins last week between the budget deal with his girlfriend Nancy Pelosi, Robert Mueller's low-energy low testimony, and the SCOTUS border wall funding victory. And he should have taken the weekend to savor at such delights. But what would the media and Twitter-driven attention whores have done with all that free time? So Saturday morning, instead of grilling up kielbasa and eggs, the president was grilling Miller, Maryland rep Elijah Cummings' backside over the state of Baltimore. And of course, here we are on day three, trying to figure out what makes it to the great racist podium. Hmm. Here's what the president got right. Baltimore is corrupt and has been grossly underserving its poor and vulnerable residents through a revolving door of corruption. There are rats, there is high crime, but the place acts as a sad magnet for underwhelming and morally bankrupt politicians and cops who only ask, what's in it for me? The past two mayors have resigned, two police commissioners have served federal prison sentences, and a bunch of cops have been charged with everything from robbing and beating citizens to planting drugs. So why isn't Elijah Cummings inserting himself more forcefully into these proceedings, employing residents to make better choices, grooming better candidates, and using his influence to stem the tide of these horrific patterns? Baltimore is one of only <clears throat> excuse me, it's live, two major cities, along with blighty Detroit, that is losing its population. It might have something to do with the crime and corruption or bad ideas like the high property taxes that dissuade business and homeowners from planting their roots in such an economic desert. Too many buzzards, not enough Orioles, and the Baltimoreans are the ones who should be driving this debate, demanding change. Instead, this tale of failure has been briefly hijacked as a chapter in the Racism Olympics, the only competitive sport where everyone who enters is bound to lose. And that's the memo. Hard work will clear your mind and body. The hard sun will burn out the pain. If you're looking for me, tell them, buddy. I'm waiting down at the All right, welcome back. And uh, as I promised, I, I wanted, I read an article recently, Why the Founding Fathers Despised Democracy. If you... I go to most schools today and ask kids, they'll say, oh, you say, what are we? They'll say we're a democracy. And they really don't get the connection between a representative form of government. Uh, you know, it's kind of like whatever the majority wants gets. But I don't think really people want that um, because they've never thought of the downside of that. In other words, if 
there's 10 of us and six six of us want this the room to be painted red and the four four of us want it white uh you know it it just doesn't matter what the best thing is or whether there's any morality to it or righteousness to it or anybody has any particular rights uh just the majority just mob rule gets it right and uh so we all know mob rule gets a little dangerous. People get lynched. People get beat beat to death. People make some really radical decisions when they're influenced by a mob. So um, <clears throat> this article says that Plato wrote in the, the Republic, <clears throat> and so tyranny naturally rises out of democracy. So where did democracy, you know, this whole concept of democracy comes from? come from? So this writer says that the founding fathers despised democracies. They desired rather democratic principles, but not a democracy. Uh, so it goes on to say that democracy can easily be commandeered, like I mentioned, mob rule, to establish a totalitarian state. A totalitarian state is what's happening in North Korea, China, and uh, Cuba, and Vietnam right now, and Laos. And that's where a group of people who gain control uh, have control and determine what's going to happen on every front. The founders of the United States, you might think, well, we're just as smart as them. Honestly, I, I think we're far from it. So you need to look at their education and what they're, you should really, if you're really interested in having a, a firm stance on this, you should read some of the writings of the founding fathers and see if you're as smart as they are. I'm some, sometimes like blown away at, at their thinking in a good way. Said so the founders inherently understood this, that democracy could be violent and could lead to a totalitarian state. And so they, they totally rejected it. It's, it is not in our Constitution. This goes on to say, democracies have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention. They've been found incompatible. That means they don't, it doesn't work with personal security or the rights of property. If you'll notice in our Constitution, personal security and the rights to property are centermost. And um, democracies have been short, uh, generally short in life, and they are violent in the way they end. Madison, James Madison, goes on to write and explain how this very same erroneous belief held by collectivists, that's communists, destroys property rights, which is foundational to any free society. So a free society is one that protects property rights. So that means if your neighbors, you have 10 neighbors, and they all vote to take your property from you, they cannot just because the majority outvoted you. And so uh, at the center of our Constitution is we have rights, and they're not provided to us by, by government, Instead, they are provided literally by God himself, that we have freedom from God. And any attempt by humans to curb that freedom is evil. 
So if you read the Bible, and you don't need to, but I'll just tell you what it says, there is a preponderance of statements about setting people free, not only free from demonic activity or free from prison, but just that people, God wants people to be completely free. And uh, those are what we call God-given rights. And so the only reason to have a government is to protect those God-given rights, even if even if some of the representatives in the government do not believe in God. The fact is, whether they believe in it doesn't, or they're Christian or not, doesn't make any difference. God has given us those rights. That's what our founders felt, even those even those that didn't follow Jesus, but maybe were deists. In other words, they believed they were created as opposed to it came from a monkey. So they believed that these were God-given rights, and the only reason for any government at all is to protect those very rights. Uh, so Madison uh, writes, and he reiterates the view of Plato over 2,000 years prior to his, his existence, and stating that Plato writes that the loss of principles sends a democracy spiraling into tyranny. Tyranny is where the government takes over, which is what we're experiencing right now. We just had it, I mentioned in the previous segment, with Gavin Newsom. Uh, taking over and, and removing my right to vote for whoever I want in this uh, presidential election. He's not going to be, Trump's not going to be on the ballot. And they say, well, you can write in anybody's name. The fact is most people don't, uh, don't learn about how to even do that or that it's an opportunity. They, they're not, they're ignorant. Let's put it that way. So when you put things on the ballot, it makes it easy for people. Generally, Democrats like that. But in this case, when they want to knock out the Republican, uh, they speak out of both sides of their mouths. In other words, they're hypocrites. Plato goes on to write, The neglect of things introduce a change in democracy which occasions a demand for tyranny. So uh, I don't know, whether, again, you, you wouldn't get this if you don't read the Bible, but Samuel a prophet in Israel, warned the Israelites. The Israelites were being ruled by God. They didn't have a king. And the Israelites began to complain to Samuel, we want to be ruled over by a king just like everybody else. And they kept on to him. So just as Samuel warned the Israelites nearly 3,000 years ago, uh, as their principles and faith in God waned and they became ignorant of how powerful their the theocracy, if you will, led by God, was Plato issued a warning which now has befallen the United States. So with each presidential cycle, many Americans demand a powerful, strong man to ease their suffering and bring peace. And they believe that we are in a democracy. Now, so what we've heard, we've been hearing over and over from Democrats that what we need to do is get rid of the Electoral College and the 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 person with the most votes wins that will destroy the United States of America because because many states just like Northern California would have no say in the uh, the voting and the outcome of an election because states like Montana could would be outvoted by Los Angeles. So the same disease magnified and intensified by liberty overmasters democracy. The truth being that the excessive increase in anything often causes a reaction in the opposite direction, says Plato. The excessive liberty, whether in states of, or individuals, seems only to pass into excess slavery. 
And so tyranny naturally arises out of democracy. So what what is the restraint that we've placed, our founding fathers placed on democracy? The Constitution. So in the Constitution, if my neighbors decide they want me to move, they can't force me to move. But if they could, uh, I would basically that that removes all my rights. Correct. So what the reason they can't is I have constitutional rights, right? You have the right to your personal property and your freedom. And so people just can't decide, oh, well, we don't want a black person or we don't want a white person or a Mexican person or whatever flavor involved here, right? So they outvote them, right? So it says the functional deficiency of a democracy is unprotected majority rule or tyranny of the majority. The majority simply cannot rule otherwise. It could and would simply vote in advantages. I want you to think as I say this, what's going on right now? The majority would vote in advantages and even the theft and destruction of the minority. So what's happening? Even people are getting uh, elected. And they're voting in, for instance, right now, a lot of my money goes to the government, and then they take my money and give it to other people living around me in my community that didn't earn the money. They just took it from me, just like somebody comes in my house and finds my money and takes it out of my house. They steal it, and then they use it for their benefit. That's no different than what the government's doing right now. It's a tyranny, tyrannical government. And this says this is the very reason for a moral compact, which is what our founding fathers designed, a moral compact recognizing fundamental rights, or they call it our natural right, rights which are bestowed upon us by our creator. So whether or not you know Jesus, follow Jesus, follow God, uh, whatever your faith is, the fact is our founders said that we have rights in this country designated to us by a creator whether you get up in the morning and pray or read the bible or whatever you got those rights and they and they put that in a compact or a an agreement called the constitution of the united states therefore regardless of the majority opinion or vote these natural rights remain always undisturbed by other people or they should be whether government or the majority so sometimes the government They'll come in and confiscate something, and then there'll be a lawsuit. You can't just come and confiscate without a discussion in the courts. So the only purpose our founding fathers believed of a civil government is to protect what they called our natural rights. That means rights given by our creator. Adam Smith said in 1759, all government is but an imperfect remedy, imperfect remedy or a necessary evil, I would say for the deficiency uh, of wisdom and virtue. Thus, in other words, uh, I always say that government is a necessary evil to keep a lid on this sucker until Jesus comes back. That's the way I would say it. So Adam Smith and the founding fathers were acknowledging the fallen nature of mankind, including those in charge, including those in government, as did our forefathers and founding fathers. So even you can, uh, there's a professor, Edward Erler, E-R-L-E-R, at the California State University. He 
uh, writes, the majority cannot invade the rights of the minority. In other words, my neighbors can't uh, vote and, and take away my property. Nor can unanimous consent rightfully do what is intrinsically unjust. More majority rule itself can operate only within certain bounds. Yes, quite often the voice of the majority is completely irrelevant, as even the voice of the majority is bound to the sovereign rights of the individual and those rights which God bequeathed upon us at creation. Pretty cool stuff. And you should uh, pay attention to that because that's keeping your stuff, your stuff. So, um, all right, well, let me move on to the, the uh, next topic, which is the women's soccer team. I talked a little bit about the absurdity of uh, one of the uh, lesbian soccer players making the entire event of the uh, World Cup about her and her weirdness. And it just shows how narcissistic and selfish people can be instead of it being a team sport where everybody enjoys uh, the uh, recognition and accolades of a tremendous accomplishment, she had to use it to uh, trash the President of the United States. Very disrespectful. Obviously, she's been raised to be very disrespectful and arrogant individual. Uh, so I don't know who, what, other lesbian will end up her partner, but probably isn't going to be a ha very happy life for her. But there's a lot of talk about equal pay for equal work, and they there was a big issue. Like we, you know, we can't do anything in the United States anymore without making a political issue about anything, whether somebody achieves something great or whatever, whatever. So the fact is, somebody did some background checking on the the ac the accusation or the claim that the U.S. soccer the U.S. women's soccer players were underpaid. They, they've accomplished this great thing. They've act, actually outperformed the men on the men's soccer team, and yet they're paid dismally less. So uh, the U.S. soccer released a fact sheet showing that female players actually earned more than the men. Did, did, is that new news, new news to you? Did CNN or ESPN broadcast that? No, they're, they're liberal mouthpieces for uh, socialism. Uh, so the team uh, won its fourth championship. Prominent players of the team loudly complained of not receiving pay equal to the, the men's team. So on Monday, President Carlos Cordero released a letter and a fact sheet female players actually have been paid more than their counterparts. So uh, Cordero notes it from, this is amazing because I never know how, how these people got paid, right? Cordero notes that from 2010 to 2018, USSF paid out $34.1 in salary to female players and over that same period of time paid out $26.4 million to male players. $34 million female players, $26 million male players. He further pointed out that, that the women's total payout does not include health care and retirement costs, which the USSF also covers. In other words, that 34.1, the USSF, the, the soccer uh, government, also pays health and retirement costs for them. That's not included in the 34.1. The male players do not receive health care coverage nor retirement compensation. So the women not only get more cash, 
but they get retirement and health benefits that the men do not get. Now, I wonder why that wasn't brought up, right? It just, I mean, so much information that's brought out nowadays when you don't have, you just hear it in sound bites. You don't have time to even deal with it. Uh, you just feel like, hey, I'm getting, you know, these people are getting ripped off. And the fact is that the U.S. women's national team, they don't bring in near what the, what the men do. So the national team for the women earned $101.3 million over 238 games for an average of 425000 and change per game for the, the whole, the league, you might call it. And the men's team earned a gross revenue of $185 million versus $101 million. They earned almost $86 million more dollars over just 191 games versus 238 games for an average of, of nearly a million dollars a game. So they're gen- the men are generating, not playing nearly amount, the amount of games, they're, they're generating nearly a million dollars a game, and the women can't even generate a half a million dollars a game. In other words, they're not as popular, even though they're doing wonderful. They're probably nice ladies. So it just shows you that even though the men are generating more money, twice as much money, more than twice as much money per game as the women, they're earning far less than the females are. So uh, put that in your pipe and smoke it. So I wanted to mention uh, one of our supporters, uh, Elite Universal Security, and thank them this morning. Uh, you can They're up here in Yuba, Sutter, Butte, Shasta County, even up into Oregon. You can reach them at 530-749-0280 for two reasons. One, you might need some security because police aren't providing the security that you normally are used to uh, because of politics. And maybe you're running out of money in your county because of high pension costs of government employees. So a lot of businesses are resorting to additional uh, help from private security, and that's Elite Universal Security, 530-749-0280. If you have a farm, you keep getting your equipment ripped off, people stealing your gas, your diesel, or your parts, your chemicals, whatever, your a truckload of almonds or walnuts, Elite Universal Security can help you. Or if you're a local business and people keep just doing a dump in front of your business, right? And dumping trash in in your business, Elite Universal Security can help you out. And uh, they also do, they they actually will train you if you want to uh, go to work with them. They they're advertising for workers in Butte County, Sacramento County, Sutter and Yuba County, all over the place. They have armed dry armed workers, unarmed workers. They will train you. They have their own school. Also, if you want to get a concealed weapons license to handle a gun or you want to go to taser and pepper spray classes, they can do that. August 10th and August 11th, there's their next gun courses. And September 7th is their next taser and pepper spray class. These guys got it going on. They make it really easy. Uh, You can get a live scan there every day of the week. You can get a mobile notary service. You're doing some transactions and you think, oh, man, who does notary? Well, Elite Universal Security does with just a phone call. You can you can they'll come to where you are. So you can reach them at 
1-800-227-0280. They're located at Feather River Boulevard, 5548 Feather River Boulevard in Yuba County. Check them out. They are uh, run by veterans of the United States military, which is a good sign when you want to work with people. So we'll be right back. We're going to take another little short break here, but I'm going to, I'm not going to leave you high and dry. You're going to listen to what you need to know about Trump's Baltimore tweets, because there's a lot of trash talk out there and, uh, about the, uh, the squad. So I'll be right back and then we'll get back into this. Well, it's knowing that your door is always open and your path is free to walk. That makes me tend to leave my sleeping bag rolled up and stashed behind your couch. And it's knowing I'm not shackled by forgotten words and bonds and the ink stains that are dried upon some line. That keeps you to know about President Trump's Baltimore tweets. First of all, did President Trump tweet anything about Baltimore that wasn't true? Well, let's take a look. Is Baltimore crime-ridden? Yeah, Baltimore is deadlier than Detroit and Chicago. The city of Baltimore in 2018 had the highest homicide rate in the entire nation. Even the deputy police commissioner was mugged at gunpoint just in July in Baltimore. Is Baltimore rat-infested? Yup. The pest control company Orkin named Baltimore the number six most rat-infested city in the entire United States. NPR did a whole documentary on the rat infestation in Baltimore last year. Is Baltimore dangerous? Is it badly managed? Yes. The life expectancy in 14 of Baltimore's poorest neighborhoods is less than North Korea. 25% of Representative Cummings' district lives in poverty. Is there political corruption in Baltimore? The past three mayors of Baltimore, all Democrats. Sheila Dixon, convicted after she stole money from poor people. Stephanie Rawlings Black, she resigned after supporting the riots in Baltimore. Catherine Pugh accepted bribes and then was raided by the FBI because of that. All Democrats, again. Every single thing President Trump tweeted about Baltimore is factually correct. Baltimore is crime-ridden, they are rat-infested, and the corrupt Democrats in charge of the city are to blame. Nothing the president tweeted was racist. Nothing the president said pertained to race or demeaning a person based on race in any way, shape, or form. In fact, the only people calling another person a dehumanizing name, a rat, was the Baltimore Sun calling the president vermin when they wrote, and I quote, better to have vermin living in your neighborhood than to be one. And then Democratic Congressman Jerry Nadler, he retweeted the Baltimore Sun. So maybe, maybe, instead of pretending that a tweet that's not racist is racist, instead of defending corrupt Democratic politicians who've neglected their duty and committed crimes in office and run Baltimore into the ground, maybe the Democrats in our country should show some righteous indignation that it's taken this long for anybody, let alone a Republican president, to shine a light on the pain and the suffering of the people in Baltimore. And maybe, just maybe, we should all work together to fix it. And if the Democrats refuse to work with us to fix it, then we'll know they care more about hating President Trump than taking care of the people they were elected to represent. And that's my final point. 
I was all right All right in the sort of a limited way for an off night She said, don't I know you from the cinematographer's party? I said, who am I to blow against the wind? I know what I know I'll sing what I said We come and we go That's the thing I keep in the back of my head I know right, welcome back. And uh, I wanted to talk about the strange things that go on whenever you violate the laws of God. And um, I tell kids in juvenile hall, you know, if you need, I was tell, talking to them this last weekend. And I, I said, you know, you have a lot of time to think here. And one of the things you need to think about is where you came from, what you're doing here and where you're going. And so let's start where you came from. And I know, yeah, let's let's jump mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and go back farther, 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 farther. Did you come from a primate? Did you come from a monkey? Or did you come from God? Because it makes a big difference because it came from a monkey. It really doesn't matter what the laws are because they're just made up by men and they can be changed by men. So, and I said to them, I said at one time things, you know, certain things were murder. Then they aren't murder. Then they are murder. So one time it was, uh, if you took the life of a child, <clears throat> that wasn't always so in humankind. You know, the uh, times of Jesus and before uh, Romans and different pagan societies, uh, they they just offed children all the time. If the kid was a pain in the rear or the kid was born and had a, a disability or deformity or they wanted a boy and got a girl, they just toss them on the trash heap. And they didn't have a like a recology to pick up the trash, so they just tossed them out back. Uh, and so, in in many in many parts of the world where they sacrificed uh, animals, and then the ultimate sacrifice, of course, was a human being, uh, where they sacrificed humans to demonic forces when they bad things were happening. It thought if they sacrificed a human, maybe a child, that they would uh, the blood sacrifice would calm down the demonic forces. Uh, so children were often used to go walk force to walk into fire or to be had their throat slit or whatever. And so uh, in the spirit of that comes abortion. And whenever you start aborting children, uh, a lot of weird things start to happen, because if you never if if every child was allowed to be born, there would be a it's interesting how God kind of in, created this whole thing. You end up with a higher number of boys being born just naturally, a slightly higher number, maybe 107 to 100 uh, ratio than girls. And it's, it's almost like God knew. It's funny how he's smart. God knew that probably more guys live riskier lives than women. And so you need extra guy here and there to take over a family uh, or to be able to meet up with a, a woman and have children because a lot of guys die because of dangerous behavior or go to war or whatever, whatever. So what, when uh, I wrote an article recently for the Territorial Dispatch and talked about the, the, uh, the crazy thinking of, I remember growing up, <clears throat> China couldn't feed its population. I remember my dad said, clean your plate because there's kids in China that don't even get any food. And I thought, oh, I didn't, I wonder what the problem is. Didn't never think about like, why? Well, most people thought, well, you know, they're just having, they're having too much sex, 
too many kids, da da da. That's their problem, right? The problem was that they have a communist society that they can't figure out how to grow enough food instead of letting people own their own property. And, you know, when you own your own property and have your own property rights, you produce a lot more. That's just the way it is. So as soon as China changed that, even though they kept a politically communist government, now they produce all kinds of stuff and now they export food. And they still have their billion people. But Americans were so weird and short-sighted, they said, well, what they need to do, they, in other words, a lot of American liberals agreed with China's one-child policy. People think, oh, what do you mean? How do they do a one-child policy? That means they force people to abort, or after the woman has a, one child, they tie her tubes or whatever, whatever, right? And uh, it's only the uh, people, Chinese, that hide extra children that they have uh, that's a real minority, but they've they've had this enforced one site one child policy for decades now, supposedly to keep from uh, running out of food. It's just crazy. Just it's kind of like dad doesn't go to work, mom doesn't go to work. Uh, so instead of forcing them to go to work, uh, you you kill off their kids, right? It, that's what's going on here. So uh, you end up with strange things. So in China, there's a shortage of girls to marry because guys want to get together with a girl, have relations, have children, and right? But there aren't enough girls because uh, it, it just so happens that it just it, more girls get aborted than guys. Why? Because the Chinese culture has a, and, and the Indian culture, a lot of the Asian cultures have a higher priority on males being born than females. For instance, when pe when parents get old, they they still stay with the the family members. They don't go to a care home like we put them in here, and they stay with the son. The son takes care of them, so they want to have a son to take care of their future. So we have way more boys in China, and now what's happening is you say, oh, I don't understand about this sex trafficking and human trafficking. Well, there's all kinds of human trafficking bringing women into China from surrounding countries like Korea, right? Vietnam and Southeast Asia, girls coming in there and being forcibly married to Chinese guys because there aren't enough girls. Well, all of a sudden in India, they, they have a billion people and they weren't, they didn't have a one child policy. But social scientists in America and the United Nations are so stupidly bright or bright stupid that they said, oh, their problem is they need abortion and they need uh, birth control pills. So now in India, this is so fascinating, India is investigating 132 villages that have not had a, a girl birth in 90 days. Now, I want you to think about that. 132 villages, and all these women are pregnant, right? But every one of them delivers a boy. Now, don't you think that's odd? It's amazing. It's just amazing how these things work. When you have the technology to, like, look inside a woman and determine what the, the uh, gender of her child is going to be, right? And they just kind of pick and choose until all the women are just delivering boy after boy after boy after boy after boy. So it's in the U Uttar Kashi district of Uttar 
Uttarakhand, state of northern India. That is a very strong Hindu area of India. They call it feticide, female feticide in the hills. Um, so uh, authorities suspect the selective killing of female fetuses in the Uttar Kashi district. Uh, so now they're having an investigation. So why does this not surprise me? Maybe it doesn't surprise you. It's because people do weird things when the door is open to like, I remember when I went to the, you remember the horror movie Frankenstein? I remember it was the first thing I thought, you know, it's, it was human doctors like tinkering with humankind and you ended up with this weird stitched faced, you know, weirdo, flat head, stitched face guy that, that wasn't, was, it was just, he was half monster half human. So that's what we're creating here. So this uh, magistrate of the affected district noted that not one girl has been born in 16 of the of the 132 villages since the beginning of the year nearly 7 months ago. Now in the last 90 days none in 132 village but in 16 of the village we got a 7 month gap. No women. Of the 65 children were born there during this, the period uh beginning 2019. Not one girl, just everybody's like, we're going to have a, it's like all blue around those places. So uh, the article says, historically, India's patriarchal society, that means male-led, prefers boys over girls. I know a number of Punjabi ladies, and they are, uh, they are kind of set free, not, well, they're set free Punjabi women, if you can say it that way. And they don't, they don't like the idea of the chauvinistic attitude of Punjabi males, right? So this society sees males as an investment and females as a liability given the required marriage dowry for brides. You know, in, in certain cultures, if you want to marry that woman, you're going to have to kick down a lot of stuff for the family, cows and goats and money and gold and all that kind of stuff. So people just say, hey, I just have a boy and let the money come my way, right? Girls, you're paying out money. Boys, you're collecting money. Family members, in other words, you're benefiting by by getting rid of your boy. But you never really get rid of him. You just cash in on him. As a result, uh, there's a shortage of girls in the second most populous country of the world. So as I mentioned, um, there is a around the world there's a sex re, sex ratio or gender ratio of 100 something to 100 females usually 102 105 107 depending on the country uh so india the government banned prenatal sex determination tests and sex selective abortions in 1996 in order to stop the gender imbalance and uh, so that's that's that. So uh, the law allows abortions only in the case of pregnancies under 12 weeks, which involves a risk to the life of a human or in other words, they have really restrictive abortion policies. I'm going to play you a clip right now in the middle of this segment called Why Can't America Fill a Pothole? 
Okay, we'll be right back. From left-wing Democrat to right-wing Republican, everyone loves infrastructure. We all want safe bridges, smooth roads, and world-class airports. So why can't we have them? Why are America's bridges falling down, our roads riddled with potholes, and many of our major airports dilapidated? Why can't the United States build or repair infrastructure like European and Asian countries do? The answer is not complex. America doesn't have better infrastructure because of two groups, environmental activists and labor unions. What has happened to the Keystone XL pipeline, a project to bring oil from Canada to refineries in the U.S., is a typical example. According to environmental groups, this vital piece of infrastructure is a guaranteed disaster. Never mind that pipelines are, by all measures, a much safer way to transport oil than rail cars. Say the words fossil fuel, and the Greens are against it. In November 2018, in the U.S. District Court of Montana, Judge Brian Morris, an Obama appointee, halted Keystone's construction for the third time. The first final environmental review, approving construction, was released by Hillary Clinton's State Department in 2011. It concluded that the environmental impact would not be significant. A second final environmental review also approved the project. It was released in 2014 by John Kerry's State Department and also foresaw little environmental impact. Judge Morris's third review may be the charm for the Greens. At this point, a full decade into the process, it's hard to see the pipeline ever being completed. Keystone is a case study of what Brookings Institute scholar Robert Kagan calls adversarial legalism, environmental reviews of every aspect of every public improvement. In a given year, the federal government produces 50,000 environmental assessments. Individual states and cities add thousands more. And this isn't new. A routine dredging project in Oakland Harbor begun in the 1970s wasn't completed until the mid-1990s because of legal and environmental challenges. Four such challenges gummed up a water desalination plant urgently needed in dry San Diego. That process started in 2003 and was needlessly delayed for 12 years. Simply raising New Jersey's Bayonne Bridge roadway a bit to allow taller ships through, a move that had almost no environmental impact since it was merely an adjustment of an already built site, proceeded only after five years of review and 20,000 pages of environmental studies. Americans like to think of themselves as more freewheeling and less regulated than European and Asian countries, but when it comes to infrastructure, this just isn't true. Europe and Asia don't have the redundant layers of city, state, and federal bureaucracies that we do. As a result, their ideas get proposed, approved, and built in the time it takes us to agonize over a single environmental impact study. And to add insult to injury, their roads, bridges, subways, and airports are much cheaper to construct. A 2011 study by Israeli mathematician Alon Levy found that a mile of subway track in Japan or continental Europe typically costs $200 to $450 million per mile. Vancouver, Canada comes in lower than that. The Canada Line, a 40% underground rail system in a densely populated area, cost $130 million per mile. Even on the high end, London's underground Jubilee Line extension of the tube, which opened in 1999, cost $640 million per mile. But in New York City, the 2nd Avenue subway, a two-mile extension of an existing line, took 10 years and cost $2.4 billion per mile. And that's not an anomaly. The East Side Access Project, connecting Long Island residents to the east side of Manhattan, is set to cost an astonishing $3.5 billion per mile, according to the New York Times, which calls that seven times the average cost in other cities around the world. Construction began in 2007 and hopes to wrap in 2022. 2030 sounds more realistic. Why is everything so expensive to build in the U.S.? 
Enter the labor unions. Their motto seems to be work slowly and charge more. Sometimes don't work at all. Workers from New York City's Sandhogs Union, which is critical to such projects, cost an astounding $111 per hour in wages and benefits, according to the Times investigation. A task that could be done in Madrid with nine workers requires 24 in New York City, according to an estimate by the city's own Metropolitan Transportation Authority. It gets worse. An investigation of East Side Access Construction found that roughly 200 of 900 workers on the underground project were being paid to do nothing. And such price tags and questionable union practices are not unique to New York City. In Boston, a simple green line extension of the light rail network that is being built on the surface, not underground, is set to cost some $530 million per mile. The result of all this? Americans are living in a 20th century infrastructure world. We can't build a 21st century one. The unions and environmentalists won't let us. I'm Kyle Smith of National Review for Prager University. All right. Well, that was a uh, D- Dennis Prager or Prager University clip. And I would just uh, return from Vietnam where they're uh, in Saigon. They are putting uh, their first ever subways or Muni, underground Muni with malls underneath the ground and the whole thing. And the Japanese are over there helping them do that. And it's an amazing thing, and they're just knocking it out. And when I heard Why Can't America Fill a Pothole by Prager, I was shocked. I knew it was bad on why we can't fix our infrastructure and why it takes many, many years to get anything done. And it takes a billion dollars a mile instead of a couple million dollars a mile to do certain things. It's just totally absurd and I, I encourage people, I said, you know, you, you need to go outside the United States and go to other countries and see how f- fantastic they are. And in fact, I was talking to a doctor this week. Uh, he's a heart doctor here in, in uh, Sutter County. And he was he's uh, Indian from India. And he was talking about being in Japan and visiting Japan. And he said, Lou, the, the, the trains were amazing. And he talked about how clean they were, and they were no no cell phones. Uh, there was no cell phones going off aloud. Uh, you had there was separate rooms you could go in to make a call with your cell phone, but no cell phones were allowed. There was no noise inside the car, so people could read or sleep or just be quiet. the The conductors would come in and bow uh, before they started the train from wherever you were leaving. I mean, it was just typical Asian class. And, uh, and he talked about the food and just the cleanliness and the professionalism. And, uh, and they just get stuff done. Their airports are better. Their subways are better. Their highways are better. Uh, there's nothing that they aren't outperforming. Their, their planes, I quit flying American carriers for airplanes going overseas 20 years ago. I'd fly Asian, Asian carriers. Uh, they're cleaner, they're, they care for you, they're kinder, they're fast. I mean, you get to the ticket counter, that you're maybe one minute, and you got your boarding pass, and your, all your stuff's booked on, booked on the, the luggage is booked on. They're very fast, they're very efficient, and they're on time, they don't break down. Uh, it's amazing. And so when you look at infrastructure, they... They run circles. President Trump has talked about it. Some highways, it takes 17 years to, to upgrade the highway. It's just all these bureau, bureaucracy, environmental laws, crazy nonsense, unions, 
people not working hard. It's just a waste of time. It's just, it's just an amazing waste. So I, uh, I, that clip, what can, why can't America fill a pothole? When, when you look around, uh, I, I saw on the internet the other day, a shot of like, I, was, I think it was like Japan and they had a big sinkhole in the middle of a city. And, uh, there was, uh, it was massive, right? In an intersection. I mean, you could dump a train car in there or bigger or more. And then it showed a little pothole next to it. And it's, it showed that they filled the, the sinkhole in a matter of weeks or days and got it. And it showed the before and after. And then it showed this pothole. It takes six or seven years. It still wasn't fixed in America. And that's real, really says it all. So, uh, I want to mention before we, uh, break up with this third third section uh another one of our sponsors who has kept us on the air or on the podcast or whatever you want to call it now nowadays and that's dave greenitz with greenitz construction and um he is in our area in northern california the premier uh bathroom and kitchen remodel uh newest ideas newest colors newest designs newest lighting cutting edge everything kind of a cliche term cutting edge but i mean just see uh, innovative and uh whether even upgrading front doors adding decks uh cutting down your utility bill adding on uh exhaust you know uh whole house fans to get the heat out of the, the the of the attic just really professional construction and uh, the, the, the reason, uh, one of the reasons I can say that is, is even during the downturn in the economy uh, at the end of, uh, through the whole Ob- Obama, I mean, I'm not saying Obama caused it, but when he took over and there was a downturn in the economy, during that whole eight years or so, a lot of people went bankrupt. Some of my friends nearly went bankrupt in the construction industry. Greenish just kept plowing forward, had jobs. And uh, so now he's, he said, I'm busy, busy, busy. I'm strung out for several months. And uh, so you can you can go to his website or, or his uh, his Facebook site and see the work that these guys do. It's amazing. So you can go to greenitzconstruction.com, green, E-T-Z, at the end, construction.com. Fantastic photos before and after on kitchens and baths and, and different work that he's done. And, uh, and actually it'll, it'll go through all the different types of construction that, that they specialize in. They got some great people working for them. I know a number of them myself. I know a number of their subcontractors that work with them. They're tile people, they're paint people, they're amazing craftsmen. And, uh, you can also go to his Facebook, uh, site of Dave Greenitz construction. You can snoop around. You don't need to talk to him first. He won't, he won't call the cops for trespassing on his Facebook site or his website. And then you can email him at your leisure. If you want to ask more questions or you, uh, you want to meet up or you want some ideas or whatever. So Greenitz construction, or you can dial him up if you're really bold, if you're like a yuppie or you're a uh, baby boomer where you can actually carry on a conversation without sweating and uh, having a panic attack, you can dial him up at 530-682-9602. That's 530-682-9602. We'll be right back. I'm going to play you a couple clips here, Uh, uh, an interview with Rand Paul. 
about Ilan Omar, and then uh, a little uh, comments by Chris Rock on gun control. We'll be right back. I'm in a town where we have a lot of people who are refugees who have come, some from Somalia, some from Bosnia. I've never heard one of them say that America's a terrible place or be uh, uh, unappreciative of our country. Most of them are thankful. I've met people who have come here from behind the Iron Curtain that got away from communism. They're some of the best Americans we have because they really appreciate how great our country is. And then I hear Representative Omar say, oh, America's a terrible place. I'd love to be justice and there's no justice here. It's like. Well, she came here and we fed her, we clothed her, she got welfare, she got school, she got health care, and then lo and behold she has the honor of actually winning uh, a seat in Congress and she says we're a terrible country. I think that's about as ungrateful as you can get. And so while I'm not saying we forcibly send her anywhere, I'm willing to contribute to buy her a ticket to go visit Somalia and I think she could look and, and maybe learn a little bit about the disaster that is Somalia that has no capitalism, has no God-given rights guaranteed in a constitution, and has about seven different tribes that have been fighting each other for the last 40 years. And then maybe after she's visited Somalia for a while, she might come back and appreciate America more. You know, I was just in my hotel a little while ago on my way here, and uh, I got in the elevator, right? I'm getting in the elevator, and these two high school white boys tried to get on with me. And I just dove off. I said, like, y'all ain't killing me. I am scared of young white boys. If you white and under 21, I am running for the hills. What the hell is wrong with these white kids shooting up the school? They don't even wait till three o'clock either. <laughs> Killing people in the morning, that ain't right. It's that trench coat mafia. That trench, we, no one would play with us. We had no friends in the trench coat mafia. Hey, I saw the yearbook picture, it was six of them. I ain't have six friends in high school. I don't got six friends now. Shit, that's three on three with a half court. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with these kids? I got people telling me, come on, Chris, come up to a school, talk to the kids. I'm like, the kids? <laughs> Do you got a vest? Maybe I'll think about it. Everybody want to know what the kids was listening to. What, what kind of music was they listening to? Or what kind of movies was they watching? Who gives a f what they was watching? Whatever happened to crazy? <laughs> what happened to crazy? Well, you can't be crazy no more? Did we eliminate crazy from the dictionary? The record, the movie, crazy. When I was a kid, they used to separate the crazy kids from everybody. When I was a kid, the crazy kids went to school on a little ass bus. 
They had a class at the end of the school, and they used to get out of school at 2.30. Just in case they went crazy, they would only hurt other crazy kids. And we was all safe. We was all safe. Then the world coming to an end. <laughs> world coming to an end. You're going to have little white kids saying, I want to go to a black school where it's safe. I like Chris Rock. He's he's a little mouthy, a little foul mouth, but uh, bright guy and very fun. And uh, I like Rand Paul. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. Whatever Trump does, the media will distort it. And so when he was talking about the squad or the ladies, because everything they say is uh, in their position uh, serving their districts is wrong with America. They can't find anything right. And so his comment is, if if they can't find anything right, maybe they can find something right with the country they came from and go back there. It's interesting. Rand Paul, I think, made a real clear comment about maybe if Ilan Omar visited Somalia, she would appreciate America more, right? I've never been anywhere in the United States. It's perfect, but people, wherever I go, want to come here with me. They want to come back with me. They said, take me back with you. And I like what Chris Rock says. You know, we're such pussies in the United States about people that go in and do something stupid like at the recent garlic festival in Gilroy or they go into a church and shoot up a church or they go in somewhere a movie theater shoot up a movie theater or, or disco type place where I think the place in Southern California or Florida was primarily frequented by homosexuals it it really makes no difference all that kind of stuff it just Chris Rocks, I think, was refreshing in his comment about what happened to crazy. In other words, why do we always make excuses for people and somehow blame society? Uh, oh, he didn't have any friends. Oh, people were hard on him. And so, you know, refreshing, right? I thought it was good. So uh, recently, <clears throat> uh, Elijah Cummings, who is an idiot— uh, he's uh, represented, he's made a life-long uh, pursuit of sucking off the taxpayer, and uh, he's a lifelong uh, racist. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. If Most of the players uh, in the in NBA are black, and so people criticize basketball players like he's a crappy shooter or he doesn't play defense, and why don't they? Why don't Why don't black players that play for the NBA complain of racism when they get criticized for not playing defense, or they're lazy, or they don't hustle, or they don't have a good attitude? Why don't they always? Why don't they claim racism? I'm kind of wondering about that. 
And there's a lot of blacks in the NFL. And I remember when Rush Limbaugh uh, made some comments about a quarterback and people called Rush racist. But generally they don't. It's like players, if they're crummy players, whether they're black, white, or Asian, or whatever they are, they just kind of, that's where it is. It's like, hey, they performed or they didn't. You know, the interesting thing is that players that don't perform well in the uh, black or whatever flavor, uh, they end up, you don't hear about them next year because they are phased out of the uh, NBA. They don't have a quota system in the NBA. Did you notice they don't have a quota system? Because almost every player, in fact, I was thinking for a while, it seemed like the Golden State Warriors that I follow a lot, um, I don't like their politics or their social view, but I, I enjoy athleticism. And uh, <clears throat> I noticed that it seemed like 100% of their team was black. And I thought I didn't hear any white people complaining that that was unfair or Asians or Mexicans. Uh, they just... Uh, kind of rejoiced with their success. But it's interesting how there's these multiple standards, right? So if you complain about anybody in the government sector or a politician who happens to be a person of color, then it's got to be racism as opposed to just you're a lousy leader, right? You're, you're a lousy leader and you're just acting like a plantation owner. And these people are all producing a lot of money for you, but you're not taking care of them. They're living in shacks, run-down shacks, rat-ridden, run-down shacks, right? And uh, what happened was Elijah Cummings was, was, had a hearing, and they were having hearing on the border. Now, the, the Democrats, since Obama left, the Democrats have actually... Um, weakened the border. Demo Obama's uh, restrictions on immigration were far stronger than what the Democrats have declared for Trump. Now, Trump can't just, he can stop people. He can declare a country. No one can com come into this country. But most of the laws, uh, the law or, or the laws have been designed by Congress. And so they have changed and made it much easier to, get people into this country since Barack Obama has left. And then they blamed everything, all the problems on Trump and Trump's only been in there, what, two or three years. And all of those facilities to house human beings were built uh, by other presidents and even by some by uh, Barack Obama's people. Now, the interesting thing is the whole concept of if you bring people in there, and you limit, for instance, now they used to have a limit of like two or three times this. But now if a child is involved, and we'll talk about more of this later, if a child is involved uh, in a family, even, it, uh, even if it's done fraudulently to start with, they can't sort out the fraud until a bit. But they, the Congress says you can't hold a family any longer than 20 days. Now that was different with Obama. It was like two or three times that with Obama. And so it gave them. So a lot of times families wouldn't come up because they didn't want to end up being incarcerated for that long. But the 20 day deal, if you can hang for 20 days, then you must be released in the United States if they haven't kicked you out. And so Elijah Cummings was 
harassing the interim director of Homeland Security over the deplorable standards at at the uh, at the border. Oh, let me add this: not only did they uh, change it to twenty days, but they will not allow any more funding for any more uh, housing at the border for inmates that are being caught. So therefore it forces the government to let more and more people in. So Cummings got to harassing the new uh, director, interim director of McLean, McLean or something like that, McLean. And um, he was saying, basically, you know, Cummings was saying, how is the border going? And he says, well, we're doing the best we can. We're doing a good job with what resources we have. And then Elijah just sucker punches him. Elijah Cummings trying to grandstand. And so as a result of Trump, uh, Trump uh, attacked Elijah Cummings' hypocrisy and began to compare the border with Baltimore, which is Elijah Cummings' district and has been so for many, many, many decades. Um, so the Homeland Security Secretary is Kevin McAleenan. And uh, so he he switched up on Cummings and says, you know, uh, why don't you look at your 7th Congressional District, which is 54.6% black and has a median household income of 51,000 and a college graduation rate of 35.7%. And he says, look at your own district because uh, Maryland is the richest state in the United States. Did you know that? Most people probably didn't know that. You think, oh, maybe California is. No, Maryland is. And uh, it has a median household income of over 69000 And the real median household income for the United States as a whole, average, or median Median means not average, but the middle. It's 49,445 in 2010. So that's 20,000 higher, right, in the state of Maryland. But in his congressional district, it's $10,000 lower than, uh, actually, it's it's $17,000 lower in uh, Cummings district, Elijah Cummings. So, uh, and Donald Trump just didn't wake up in the morning and dream up that it's rat infested and it's, it's a, it's a third world area. It's been all over the news. Liberal PBS did a report on the rats. So let me give you some headlines that are just common headlines. You can look up yourself. Here's one headline. At least seven shot during a cookout in Baltimore. Baltimore city government faces ransomware attack. Report. Baltimore's war on guns almost exclusively targeted black neighborhoods. Baltimore mayor Catherine Pugh. I am not lucid enough to resign in the face of federal investigation. Now, eventually, she did resign. She's about the third mayor in a row to resign. 
Charges will be dropped for seven John Hopkins students arrested for a month-long long sit-in. They chained themselves and did damage to the building. Baltimore, more gun control and more crime. Here's another one. Baltimore mayor, we're not going to cooperate in ICE raids. Here's another one. Baltimore police deputy commissioner robbed at gunpoint. It's amazing when your own deputy commissioner of the police gets robbed. Here's another one. Eight shot, one fatally overnight in gun-controlled Baltimore. Next, watch. Baltimore civilian police employee attacked and stomped in the street. Another one. Flashback. Bernie Sanders cited North Korea to slam conditions in Baltimore. He says that is a disgrace. In other words, he compared when Bernie visited this district, he compared North Korea uh, to the poorest boroughs of Baltimore, calling it a disgrace. Richard Grinnell wrote a piece in the New York Times of all places, called out the left's hypocrisy on Baltimore. Another headline, Baltimore's homicide rate is so high, residents could claim U.S. asylum if they weren't Americans. Now, let me explain what that means. People come to the United States border right now, and they, one way to get in is you claim asylum. It's dangerous where you're from. But they just can't say, well, it's really bad down there. They're, they got to have statistics. In other words, there's got to be some kind of independent analysis on the city or the country. So what they're saying here is Baltimore's crime rate and homicide rate is so high, it's the highest in the nation, that if that was a foreign country, you could, you could legitimately ask for asylum in the United States of America if it was a foreign country nearby. Now, that's how bad it is. So... Uh, now, I wrote an article called Rat Friendly in the Territorial Dispatch as a result of this rat discussion of Baltimore. And you can read all about it. It's up. It's posted. It will be posted uh, along if you want to go to the website at NoHostagesRadio.com. It will be posted on the 3rd of, of uh, August with this, uh, with this broadcast. And you can read all about it because, uh, you know, rats, uh, we're having a controversy now in California because we got a lot more rats because of we're not dealing with the homeless situation and there's trash everywhere. So where there's more trash, you get more cockroaches and you get rats. And so sometimes with rats, uh, they, they are a carrier of like 80, I think 86 different diseases that can jump into the human species. And uh, so I noticed in Vietnam when I was over there, because I was thinking about this when I was in Vietnam in Saigon, you can go out at night, just sit anywhere, and you could see rats running around. And uh, they're used to it. I mean, women don't scream or anything. They just said, oh, there's a rat. In America, they're like, oh, my God, there's a rat. Or if there's a cockroach in a, or in a restaurant or something, people here just have, they, they wet their pants. But... Uh, but in Vietnam, they actually trap rats and eat them. And women believe that rats 
in Vietnam have some amino acids that help them keep their young look. Now, I don't know whether it's the rats or not, but they do keep their young look. They look young for a long time. Uh, and so they don't, they do plastic surgery over there as well. And they, some of them can afford some of the, the uh, potions and, uh, creams and stuff to keep you looking sharp. But they claim that eating these rats is good. Now they, they actually, they farm a lot of rice like we do here in Northern California. So they like to trap the rats that eat rice out there in the paddies because they don't have any funky chemicals in them. And they don't like the rats that are eating out of the garbage heaps around the city or down in the drains and the sewer. So they pass on those rats. They do poison some rats with this anticoagulants, which now the environmentalists are going to ban here. So uh, they're careful about where they get their rat, but they eat lots of rats. And I think the, I think I wrote where the Mekong Delta produced about 3,500 ton of rats for sale. In other words, they, they trap them and sell them in the market. Now, I've never knowingly eaten any rat, but um, they say the, some of those rats are getting up to one and two pounds. Now, they said that Baltimore and Cummings districts has some of the biggest rats they've ever seen. They're, they said they're big as a cat. So what you have in, in Baltimore is a typical liberal run city now walter williams who is one of my favorite writers he's in his 80s now and he's a uh economics professor emeritus from george mason university and uh, he wrote an article about wherever liberals run cities and there's always corruption and uh so this uh, I got a number of articles here on Baltimore that are just amazing. It just I had no idea that it was so bad. They say the Baltimore Orioles Stadium is fantastically beautiful, and the I guess the Baltimore Ravens maybe they all play in the same stadium, but it's a really great place. And the trains to get there are cheap, but other than that, it's a hellhole. The assertion says that Baltimore is infested with rats is entirely accurate. This one article says, in fact. I've also lived in New York City, and I can attest that the rats in Baltimore are the biggest I've ever seen. They are, they are bold and the size of house cats. They do not live in the shadows at night in the subway tracks like they do in New York. They wander the trash-laden streets at all hours, posing a risk of animal attack and disease spread at an alarming rate. It's a typical—what it is is a slave plantation. Now, Trump— People did some research and they came up with the idea that $16 billion went to Baltimore was either stolen or wasted. And they're asking, this is federal money, our tax dollars, you're in mine. And, and Trump's asking Elijah Cummings to open an investigation on his own district where all this money went. So uh, they can't figure out where it went. Lynn Patton, regional administrator of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, said that $16 billion in grants was given to Cummings District just in 2018. That's, that's other money. It just in one, one year, $16 billion in Cummings District, not, not Maryland, in his one little district. It's just unbelievable. So... Let's let's talk about racism for a second. We're we're coming to a break here, but uh, 
A racist is generally defined as a person who demonstrates discrimination or prejudice against people of other races or believes that their own race is superior to others. That definition aptly describes democratic representative Elijah Cummings based on his demonstrable, demonstrable black supremacist views. But the definition of racist also includes one who suppresses people based on their race, and that defines Cummings' approach to those in his predominantly black congressional district, which covers more than half of Baltimore City. He's represented that district since 1996. So, uh, and the city district in Maryland state. He, he, so as a congressman since 1996, but he was in the state house for 13 years before that. So let's see four, 18, 20, we're not 19, 23 plus 13. That's 36 years. He's been serving that area either at the state house or as a federal congressman. He's a career politician. Would you agree? It's kind of a family affair with Mr. Cummings. His wife is the chairwoman of the Maryland Democratic Party. So we could call them poverty pimps, those people. They've made millions and millions of dollars. What? On telling black people how the whitey, how the whitey is just holding them down, just holding them poor people down. It's just a sad situation. We'll talk a little bit more about it before we go on to the next topic. As we come back, we're going to take a short break, but I'm going to play you a very interesting clip that's going to shock you. It's by Dinesh D'Souza, and he realizes he reveals the horrifying fact about 4 million slaves in 1860. Fits right in with what I'm talking about. All right. Papa, why do you play? All the same old songs Why do you sing With the melody Cause down on the street Something's going on There's a brand new beat And a brand new song In my life There was so much anger Still I have no Now, I think you know that we're living through a very extraordinary political moment in, in American history. Uh, even as we speak, left-wing thugs are rampaging through the South, pulling down Confederate monuments. Now, when I first saw this site, and let's be clear about what the site is. This is Democrats knocking down the statues of other Democrats. <laughs> so, so at the first glance, I thought to myself, maybe the Democratic Party is coming to a moment of true self-recognition, true honesty, true willingness to uh, account for its own past, Maybe the Democrats, for the first time in all their history, are saying, yes, we did it. We are the party of slavery, of segregation, of Jim Crow, of the Ku Klux Klan, of racial terrorism. We are the party that attempted to block the Civil Rights Act of 1964, 
and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, and we are now just so thoroughly ashamed of our own history that we have to take down these terrible reminders that we keep seeing in the form of statues of who we are. But of course, I realize that is not what is going on right now. What is actually go on, going on is something more like the big lie. And the big lie is the effort on the part of Democrats to take the things that they did and to project the blame and the responsibility onto someone else. They want to blame the white man. They want to blame America. They want to blame the South. Now, to be honest, the secession debate of 1860 was between the North and the South. But the slavery debate, which had been going on for much longer, the slavery debate was not a North-South debate. It was actually between the pro-slavery Democratic Party, North and South, and the anti-slavery Republican Party. In my last movie, Hillary's America, I made the observation that in 1860, the year before the Civil War, no Republican owned a slave. All the slaves in the United States, four million of them, were owned by Democrats. Think about that. Now, since then, in the last year, the left has been thrashing around to find a single counterexample to undermine my thesis, and all they'd have to do is give me a list of five Republicans who own slaves, and I'd have to take it back. But they can't do it. After intense labors, one Democratic PhD student said, I, I found an example, I found an example. Ulysses S. Grant inherited a, a slave on his wife's side. And I said, that's true, but at the time that that happened, Ulysses S. Grant was a Democrat. So we were talking about Elijah Cummings' district. He's been in the business down there. His wife, in a cash cow, she's the head of the Maryland Democratic Party. Elijah's got 36 years sucking off the taxpayers, and he's got one of the worst cities in the United States of America. It's the highest murder rate. And uh, they can't even keep the place clean. Rats uh, are available in a city that they can't keep it clean. You'd think they could just clean up the garbage, right? But they're just garbage. How, how, how in a modern city do you have just garbage everywhere? So uh, anyway, it, if you'll notice, it doesn't matter which left-wing uh, person or celebrity you find that everybody's just racist, racist, racist on the conservative side, Right. Uh, so, uh, they are hoping that if they brand enough people racist, they will be able to defeat Donald Trump. Uh, but they've had some weird people. They've had some really weird people, uh, in, in that, uh, I want to see if I can find it here. It's interesting. Even if, 
we have old clips of Elijah Cummings criticizing his own area in order to get elected. In other words, when he went from the state house to the federal level, he actually attacked his own area because he's going to make a change, right? So he created a crisis or talked about the crisis, said, you know, our, our area is rat infested by his own words. You know, the thing is, these people say stuff and then there's all kinds of uh, film out there, if you want to call it film or video of them. You know, they're on record. It's not like somebody said, I think he said once I was in a room and heard him. No, it's all on reco- recording. Right. And um, even the corrupt Democrat, latest Democrat mayor that quit, Catherine Pugh, agreed. After touring the city's violence ridden, riddled, trash filled neighborhood, she was caught on camera expressing her disgust. She said, What the hell? <laughs> this gal must have been a piece of work. What the hell? We should just take all this shit down. Whoa, you can even smell the rats. That's a direct quote from her. Let me do it again. What the hell? We should just take all this shit down. Whoa, you can smell the rats. This is the mayor of the city. Mick Mulvaney, he's the current chief of staff and a really brilliant guy. He's done everything, all kinds of things for Trump since he's been in there. He says, I think it's right for the president to raise the issue. Look, I was in Congress for six years. If I had poverty in my district like I ha- like we have in Baltimore, if I had crime in my district like they have in Chicago, if I had homelessness in my district like they have in San Francisco, and I spent all my time in Washington, D.C. chasing down this Mueller investigation and this bizarre impeachment crusade, I'd probably get fired. That, How come that makes so much sense? So anyway, the, these people are so full of baloney. It's just disgusting that I've got, I've got article after article on how disastrous this guy's district is and what a fraud he is. But you know, if they don't want to do anything. It's all Trump's fault. He's been in there, what, two and a half, three years. And it's all his fault, all his fault. I want to mention a lady that I ran into about a year ago that's uh, an expert on horses. And uh, she runs uh, stables, youthful courage stables, working with all kinds of people, but particularly loves working with young people that are struggling in life. And uh, they maybe are struggling physically or spiritually or emotionally. And uh, she uses riding horses, teaching them how to ride and overcome fear and all those kind of things and gaining confidence to build kids into stronger people, stronger humans. And so uh, she does that here in Sutter County, outside the city of Yuba City. Her name's Stephanie Case Camp. And if you... I know school's getting ready to start, but even if you wanted to give lessons to your child, you know, a lot of times people will put their kids in judo or maybe some kind of a workout regimen or or something to help them gain confidence, maybe sports. And uh, love of horses and learning how to ride is another one of those areas that can help young people. And sometimes it can turn into a career or it can turn into a lifelong hobby. 
And so you can reach out to Stephanie at 707-350-2999, YC Stables or Youthful Courage Stables. And uh, she will help you, and she will help you love your children and take good care of them and have a good time and help them grow as young, young human beings. So there you have it. Okay. Uh, let's see. There, this whole deal with Trump. I mean, have you ever, do you ever remember people using the racist term and bigot term and this term and that term? I got people like, would you ever expected that to happen when unemployment rate, remember when Trump said to blacks, what, why don't you try voting for me? What do you have to lose? When he says that, he had in mind all these liberal cities that are being run into the ground and were unemployment for black young people in the prime of their life when they really should be moving up the, the ladder and gaining job skills and employment skills and making more and more and more money having their first children, raising their families. Instead, they're single, they're shooting drugs, they're, they're committing crimes, they're killing each other. If you say that the, the biggest killer of black people is black people, you're a racist, it's just, it just absolutely nonsense. And so when Trump says, what do you have to lose? Actually, they had everything to gain under Donald Trump because now in the history of record-keeping in the United States of America— there has never been such low unemployment figures for black people, Hispanic people, Asian people. It's just unbelievable. It just, remember Trump said it was going to be that way. He's going to bring back manufacturing jobs, and, and Obama just laughed at him. Remember that? Everybody just laughed at him. And then once he does it, he's a racist. He's a racist. In other words, black people are more independent. The, the problem is, is that, the liberals and the black establishment does not want people of their flavor. You know, their people. If you want something racism, when you hear people say their people, ask them, who are you talking about when you're talking about my people, our people? If it's not the American people, that's a racist right there. That's a racist. Obama would say my people, right? Michelle Obama, my people. All, all kinds of people, our people, really, our people, just because of your, you, why don't you just do our people, all the flat-nosed people, right? All the flat-nosed people. Forget the color. That would be your people. But it's, it's if you got a little black in you, it's our people, you know, not the United States. So no wonder that Mexicans come in here and want to fly, a, a, or, or Guatemalans come in here, or Hondurans come in here and put up a flag of their country. They left their country and won asylum. Then they come in here and put up a flag and flip off Homeland Security people. Tell them to go F themselves. Right? One of the problems, or the problem, or a number of the problems with Homeland Security and immigration is uh, the Democrats will not change the law to kick people out of here quickly. They want to make it as cumbersome and expensive and difficult as possible, and they don't want to allow any more money to house people. So it forces the government to either not do anything 
about people blowing through the border or to adjudicate them faster, right? The problem is if you don't, anything Trump does, he's got to get cooperation to change the law from the Congress and they have to appropriate the money so they can hogtie or handcuff the president to where they can actually force this country into a stalemate where people just walk through the border without apprehension. That's just the way it is. So Elijah Cummings and all the race baiters, uh, they're really the, the 21st century plantation owners, Elijah Cummings, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, all these people. They're all multimillionaires, but they talk as if uh, there's no way for black people to move up the ladder. That they just need to give them all handouts, $500 a week or a month or whatever. But, you know, Kamala Harris did all right. Elijah Cummings did all right. Cory Booker did all right. I noticed this Michael Steele. What a hypocrite Michael Steele is. You know Michael Steele? At one time, he was head of the Republican Party. Now he's just like constantly attacking Trump. Who is this dude? So uh, the Democrat Party is crafted, their platforms is crafted by poverty pimps who have created the thing called the Great Society. And what that's created is urban poverty plantations. And those are the race hustlers, and those are the rape baiters, race baiters, or playing a race card, as you saw uh, Al Sharpton the other day, totally telling lie after lie after lie. What a, and people standing behind him as if he's some amazing guy. These are all cash for votes schemes, people. They're cash for votes. That's, a, that's exactly what it is. You vote for me, I'll give you free stuff. You remember we talked about at the beginning of the show today, we talked about Plato saying if people, uh, if, it, if you get into a, a full-blown democracy and people can vote themselves stuff, it will destroy the country. And because of welfare, which isn't even in the Constitution, because of the that we've allowed politicians to hand out freebies to people, people have been corrupted to vote for people that'll give them free stuff instead of go working for it for themselves. It's the same thing as today's spoiled kids. Uh, they'll stick around the house till mom and dad, you know, and and live off mom and dad until they croak and then get their uh, and never do work in their life. Never do, never do go out and. Uh, create their own living and take care of themselves and take care of their own business and be independent. They always want to be dependent. So in the slavery business, you always want, you kept the slaves poor, just poor enough to be dependent on the slave owner to where they feel like many slaves, when they were set free, they panicked, right? Humans panic when they've been used to being under authority, that kind of authority, abuse. And then you say, oh, you can go now. When I was in Russia right after the fall of communism, uh, Russians were, old Russians were stunned because they spent their whole life getting a very meager check and struggled, but at least it was a check that they could count on. And they had no idea once the government 
collapsed in Russia in the or the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union began to break up. People panicked and they said, well, we want our own old government back because it was security. It was secure in poverty. They knew what they were going to get. It wasn't anything. And, and they were always told that the Americans, uh, it, w- it was no better in America, right? They were lied to. So the way the blacks and the Hispanics and other minorities are lied to is that the, the reason that all their problems they have isn't, that isn't anything about themselves. Uh, it's really about the white guy, right? The white guy's holding them down. And it's the government of the United States that's corrupt and holding them down. It's interesting how when you eliminate Obama, who was a black guy, you'd think he'd have done all kinds of things to raise people up. But then you end up with a, a Trump who you think, oh, this white guy, he doesn't care about us. But he's actually like put people back to work. Put people back to work. Well, uh, let's see if I got anything more to say on this character, this Elijah Cummings. The guy used to just tick me off. Do you remember in the days when... Uh, Oh, now I can't remember their names. They had a couple of guys that served on that uh, House of Representatives uh, investigative board. And uh, Cummings was always sparring with them and always harassing them. And uh, it was so interesting. You know, he would support Hillary Clinton even if she's slitting people's throats and raping them. It was just is fascinating. Uh, so the question this one writer says, uh, he brings up the fact that in 2016, Trump promoted his new deal for black Americans. And the fact is he's, he's delivered this writer says bigly. Uh, that's what Democrats are desperately denying said. The question is, will Democrats succeed in duping more than 90% of black voters again in 2020? They might. They might. They might get away with it. Well, let me, uh, but we're just coming to towards an end of this uh, session. And uh, I wanted to mention uh, Ted Holmes, who just got back from Mexico, taking a big team of people down there doing some humanitarian work. By the way, if you think, there's other countries that are doing more humanitarian work out of their own pocket, not out of the government's pocket than America. You're, you're deceived. You just need to go out and visit some other countries and ask who you meet people doing good work. Say, where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? It's not that there's none out there from other countries, but Americans are predominantly doing the work. Thousands and thousands every day are heading out from America doing amazing things all, all over. So Ted Holmes, when he's up here, at his home in Sutter County runs the plumbing doctor and uh, you can reach them at 530-671-9111 you can reach them night or day they'll actually come in the middle of the night to solve a disastrous problem you may be having maybe you have a, a business and it's running and you have a plug up or something's broke all of a sudden there's water running everywhere or sewage running everywhere they will come over and solve it. 530-671-9111, plumbing doctor. 
And that's my friend Ted. I've had them do much work for me. And uh, he, no matter what, he's he's actually done carpentry for me. He has a construction crew as well. He actually has a, a company called Liftoff Floor Removal that removes floors when you want to put down a new fl- type of floor and you want a smooth concrete finish to attach it to. They can go back to that f- for you. So they do amazing work. Five three zero six seven one nine one one one. So I, I have never. I've lived a long time, and this is the most interesting time in the world. We have right now thousands of troops on the border between communist China or mainland China, I should say. Technically, it's all communist now between Hong Kong and mainland. But the Hong Kong people don't see themselves as communists, and they are rebelling. I don't know whether you've been watching the news. And I'm so fascinated with the end result because I spent a lot of times and a lot of time in Hong Kong over the years. And I used to be there two times a year. It's a beautiful city, amazing city, a highly technological city. It makes American cities pitifully third world looking. Uh, when you compare it to Hong Kong, it's it's fantastic. And it wasn't too many decades ago that it was like a, f- a backward, slum-ridden fishing village. But today, it's like the the, the pinnacle of capitalism. Uh, you can start a business there in 24 hours. You can't start a business anywhere in this country in 24 hours. You can start a business in 24 hours, get through the government red tape. And uh, today, there's troops on the border ready to go in and and clean house and and bring that bring that city under control. The British ruled over that city for 99 years, and uh, so when they returned it to the Chinese, uh, the Chinese ag- agreed to have one country, two systems, and they they allowed. Hong Kong to operate supposedly as it was under the British. But more and more they've they've taken control of Hong Kong and now they've have a new law that they want to extradite people uh when when they don't like what their behavior is, extradite them to mainland China and Hong Kong people are saying, No way, you're not gonna extradite people out of here. So they're having a total meltdown. And uh so we're coming up to a break. We're gonna end up with our last segment here. And it's a full segment because I have a big clip to play right in the middle of it. So we're going to come back in a second and we'll finish up our last segment of the day. So uh, have a happy break. Oh, I'm going to play you a couple clips. This is a great Save California Minute. What fathers in the home, uh, why fathers in the home matter. And then a little Jerry Seinfeld uh, clip to uh, brighten your day. So hang in there. I remember when I remember, I remember when I lost my mind There was something so special about that place Even your emotions had an echo in so much space And when you're out there without care, yeah, I was out of touch But it wasn't because I didn't know enough. Why are so many young men not working? 
I'm Randy Thomason with your SaveCalifornia.com Minute. Statistics show that men ages 25 to 34 are less likely to work than generations before. A half million young men are missing from the workforce, and the establishment doesn't know why. But MIT's David Otter knows why. His research found the rate of young women graduating from college and starting careers was noticeably higher than young men. The common denominator? Fatherless homes. Otter said fatherless boys, quote, have higher rates of disciplinary problems, lower achievement scores, and fewer high school completions. What's the bottom line? Boys need male role models called fathers at home. Do you see how the epidemic of fornication and easy divorce have hurt boys in particular? SaveCalifornia.com, fighting the good fight for your values in California. New York City, this is where I'm from, and uh, to me the most amazing thing about when you go out in this city, you know, you go to a show like this and you're with your friends, you talk, and maybe you have a good time, maybe you don't. The most amazing thing that happens to you on a night like this is the ride that you have in the cab. <laughs> you know, isn't it incredible the chances that these guys take with your life and that you're so calm in the back seat, you know, because they got that glass partition, and you're just watching them, it's like it's happening on television, you know? It's... <laughs> You know, he's flying around the road, and you're going, boy, that looked dangerous. I don't think I'd try that in my car. That was almost an eight-car pileup. Did you watch what happened on that last turn? Then you're five minutes late, you start rooting for the guy. He's up on the sidewalk, you're going, this is a good move. He killed a guy, I'm on time. <laughs> and they always have those, no smoking, please, no smoking. He's very concerned about his health, these guys. Doing 90 up a one-way, just please... Please don't smoke. We're sensitive here. Lungs are very... Throat, you know. The dumbest thing of all you can think in a New York taxi cab is, well, the man knows what he's doing. <laughs> Have you ever thought that? He's a professional cab driver. He's got a cab driver's license. I can see it right there. I don't even know what it takes to get a cab driver's license. I think all you need is a face. <laughs> this seems to be their big qualification and a name with, like, eight consonants in a row. <laughs> Have you ever checked out some of the letters in those names on the license? The O with the line through it? What planet is that from? You need a chart of the elements just to report the guy. Yes, officer, his name was Amal, and then the symbol for Boron. <laughs> so I'm from Long Island, parents live on Long Island, uh, 30 oh. years, something like that. Thank you. Thank you, that's, that's way too much applause, really. It's just... talk uh, since I was talking about China there for a few minutes with Hong Kong. I think it's, uh, if you go back to, I think it's 1989, you'll remember Tiananmen Square. That was before computer technology was available to the average folks. And so China basically kept uh, the debacle of killing thousands of 
its own students uh, that wanted more freedom, more democracy. Uh, the rest of the country didn't even know what happened, right? Because it was the media is totally controlled in China. There was no internet back in uh, to that operated that way in 1989. <clears throat> so now we're facing the same thing with this uh, resistance in Hong Kong. The, the resistors in Hong Kong have actually done damage to buildings, which is normally they don't do that, but they've gone into the legislature or the government buildings where they meet, uh, parliament or whatever they call it in Hong Kong, and destroyed things, and they're still protesting. And uh, so we're liable to see a violent takeover of Hong Kong. If that happens, that is going to rock and roll world finances because Hong Kong is a mover and shaker. They have their own stock market. It's a big deal, a big, big deal. All kinds of major shipping operations, international shipping operations. Uh, the the I'm telling you, when you everybody should go to Hong Kong once in their life. It will shock you how amazing it is, and the shipping operations and the th- tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of shipping containers that you can just see driving through over the bridges from the different. Yeah, you know, there's Hong Kong Island, and then there's mainland Hong Kong called Kowloon. And uh, when you drive through there, it's just it just your jaw just drops. And at night, the buildings are so technologically advanced, it it just puts America to total shame. We we've gone we're like a national Rip Van Winkle. I mean, we've just gone to sleep. We just life has passed us by. We thought we were we thought we were doing something, but we swung and missed in a big big way. Hong Kong, and uh, it's amazing, and you just have to go there to see it. I, actually, you can Google Hong Kong and, and see the night scenes, and it will shock you. There's no city in this country to even come close to it. It's a, it's a world-class, cosmopolitan, uh, cutting-edge, innovative city. So if they go in there and start taking down and shooting people and running tanks through the streets, it's going to be it's going to be amazingly gnarly. So the other thing that's going on in this election, the Chinese government, because they cannot defeat Trump face to face, head to head, they're going to try to influence the the uh, population of the United States to vote in an alternative to Trump. And uh, there's an exiled Chinese billionaire named Guo Wengai, G-U-O-W-E-N-G-U-I. He's exiled. Uh, He's out of favor with China. And he says, China is not only trying to interfere in the domestic politics of the United States, they're interfering publicly with the U.S. elections. Quote. He further elaborated by saying this, for 2020 U.S. Uh, for the 2020 U.S. presidential election, the Security Committee has given very clear instructions that it is not permissible for Trump to win the 2020 election. In other words, that's how they operate in, in communism. Said so this ain't going to happen. It's the same thing the FBI said about Trump. Remember? Can you have? Can you imagine that? I'm still I'm I'm still blown away by the FBI that they're in the gutter right and or the cia that that they're 
So we have the Chinese government. If you don't think it was a miracle that Trump won after Google and Facebook dishonesty, uh, moving millions of votes, changing millions of votes, uh, cheating in, in the ballot box, all the media against Trump, the Democrat and the Republican Party against Trump, and he won. Now you have the Chinese against Trump. This uh, wing guy, Guao Min Wen Gai, says President Trump has already caused a lot of damage to the Chinese Communist Party, so they have declared he will not be allowed to have another four years in power. Isn't this interesting? A foreign power. A fo- Here the the uh, the Russian the uh, Democrats are all talking about Russian collusion, Russian collusion, Russian collusion, right? When the big uh, stealing of, of the votes happened right under our noses by homeboys, Google, Facebook, Twitter, Apple, swaying votes to Hillary illegally. They are not supposed to be biased because they have a exemption from liability lawsuits from the federal government because they claimed they were going to be a neutral platform. And not be biased. But they did just the opposite. They snookered the Congress. So, uh, President, this is so amazing that the Chinese Communist Party says President Trump has already caused a lot of damage to our party. So they have declared, so we've declared we are, he will not, it's just like they own it. They own him. They're not going to allow him to to be elected again. Uh, It is so fascinating. Uh, Guao goes on to say, we must know that the 2020 presidential election is not really an election campaign between the Republican or Democratic Party. In fact, it is actually a campaign between Trump and the, uh, the leaders of China. Now, people, the, the Democrats will give you the feeling that this is a big fight, that Trump started a trade war. He didn't. We surrendered the trade war. We let China run over us, and we didn't, we didn't uh, give them hardly any tariffs, but they just said, we're not going to allow you to sell those products in our country, and we just let them get away with it. And Trump just has confronted one country after another and said, if you're going to treat us that way, we're going to treat you that way, right? And so uh, now China is getting treated the same way they've been treating us, and they're crying like stuck pigs right i'm gonna play you a clip right now and uh, it is uh if you've been watching the democrat debates there's been a couple of them now right and john stossel his operation has been keeping tabs on the cost of all the free stuff that has been offered so i'm going to play that for you so you can see who among the Democrats is going to offer the most. If you're going to vote Democrat, we're going to help you today come up with a conclusion on who is going to offer you and give you the most free stuff. Okay? We're going to play this and we're going right back. Free, 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 free. Will a candidate win the White House by offering us the most free stuff? Collect up to $500 a month. Never before have so many promised to spend so much. We need to go tenfold. We took care of the military like it's never been taken care of before. We have got to pass a Medicare for all single-payer system. (laughs) How can you even keep track of their proposed spending? 
$400 million in new science and technology. No one I know has even tried to track their promises. So we did. Here's the tally. We added up each candidate's proposed spending. We limit our count to the top five in the election bidding. We break it down issue by issue, starting with education. Triple the amount of money we spend for Title I schools. Joe Biden's off to a fast start. Universal pre-K. Free community college. Plus, he doubled the number of psychologists, counselors, and social workers in schools. $78 billion total. But that's much less than what Kamala Harris would spend. Giving the American family all that they need. Harris would also make community college free, but she'd add on four-year public college and increase government's investment in child care dramatically and give the average public school teacher a $13,000 raise. Her total more than doubles Biden's. Free college for low- and middle-income students. Mayor Buttigieg rarely says what his plans would cost, but he at least proposes less than Harris. You ought to be able to refinance your student debt. He also wants the feds to give teachers more money. Assuming his plans like Harris's, that's a total of $87 billion. We can make it work for everyone. Elizabeth Warren would spend much more. You'll be debt free. Some students will be, that is, but you'll be deeper in debt if Warren gets her way. She would forgive most existing student debt, make public colleges tuition-free, and she wants a universal child care and early learning act. She's in first place so far. Eliminate student debt. But Bernie Sanders would spend even more. He'd forgive all student debt. We must make public colleges and universities tuition-free. We're up to $220 billion per year. But Sanders also wants universal daycare and pre-kindergarten. So Sanders wins in education spending. As the only self-described socialist in the race, I assumed he'd win most categories. But I was wrong. He's got plenty of competition. Let's look at health care. You cannot let people who are sick, no matter where they come from, no matter what their status, go uncovered. Joe Biden would spend $49 billion to have the government provide a public option like Medicare. Buttigieg has the same plan. I would call it Medicare for all who want it. All the Democrats also want to give Medicare to people who came here illegally. We have got to pass a Medicare for all single-payer system. Bernie's plan would cost even more. Under our plan, people go to any doctor they want, any hospital they want. Sanders says it would cost 30 to 40 trillion over the next 10 years. Three trillion per year. I'm with Bernie on Medicare for all. Medicare for all. So these three lead in health care spending, but Something isn't clear. Who here would abolish their private health insurance in favor of a government-run plan? Yeah. <laughs> All right. The three biggest spenders also support banning private insurance, unless they don't. Harris co-sponsored Sanders' bill, which bans it. But then in The View, she said she would not ban private insurance. And private insurance also, because that's what I have. Supplemental private insurance. Yes. Then in the debates, she raised her hand to say she would. After the debate, she again said she would not. I support the Green New Deal. And how much will they spend on climate change? I support a Green New Deal. All the candidates, except Biden, say they support AOC's Green New Deal so they can pretend to be doing something about climate change. Republicans say a Green New Deal would cost $93 trillion. 
but we'll go with the lowest estimate we could find. An economist who likes the idea claims it'll cost $500 billion a year. New science and technology. Biden would spend less, but still a lot. I would immediately insist that we, in fact, build 500,000 recharging stations. Some candidates would spend almost as much increasing welfare benefits. For every family that is making less than $100,000 a year, they will receive a tax credit that they can collect up to $500 a month. In addition to a tax credit, Harris also would have the government pay your rent if it's more than 30% of your income. And she'd increase food stamps for kids. Warren would do that too. And make an historic investment in housing. Buttigieg wants affordable housing, but gave no specifics. I'll assume his plans like Warren's. Senator Sanders wants to increase food stamps, expand Social Security benefits, and guarantee everyone a government job. So far, Joe Biden has not proposed new welfare spending. So Senator Harris wins this round easily. Working families need support and need to be lifted up. I've been counting up the Democrats' plans, but the incumbent hasn't been very responsible either. A $21 billion increase in defense spending. Since Trump became president, spending rose about $500 billion. Trump did send Congress budgets that included cuts, but Congress sent increases back and Trump signed them. And Trump would spend even more. $200 billion for infrastructure, $8 billion for wall construction, and more NASA funding. How can we afford this? America's already $22 trillion in debt, $150,000 for every taxpayer. But at least Trump proposes less spending than the Democrats do. Finally, we added a grab bag category because three of our candidates have even more proposals. Harris wants to give $100 billion to redlined communities. Buttigieg wants $2 billion to expand national service. But Warren has the most plan. She'd require the government to buy American-made products. They have to be manufactured right here in the United States of America. She'd also expand the destructive Export-Import Bank, give debt relief to Puerto Rico, spend more on the opioid problem, and give $2 billion a year to apprenticeship programs. In total, we counted 50 spending proposals. We tried to include all of them and figure out the costs, but please, in the comments section below, tell us what we got wrong. Until then, President Trump has the lowest spending proposals. Biden's not that much worse. Buttigieg would double Biden's spending increases, and Elizabeth Warden would spend five times more. Sanders is even worse, but even the socialist was edged out by... Kamala Harris. I guess that means she's the winner of Free Stuff 2020. No matter who wins, since all the candidates want to spend more, you taxpayers are the loser. All right, we're back. So did it shock you uh, how much money this is involved? So if you're into uh, wanting the government to take care of you. Some people really have been converted to that in the United States at this point. They just would rather to, to just give all their money to the government and then let the government be responsible for handouts. And they would just they'll live on the handouts and they'll complain about about it, but they'll know that something will come, even if it's just a little bit. So uh, that's what's going on here. And uh, it's it's really it's really pretty fascinating. 
Uh, and more and more people, of course, if you get rid of the Electoral College, then you will get a full-blown democracy, which is complete tyranny. And then people will just vote more and more stuff until the whole thing goes broke. And you have a meltdown in the entire nation, which I don't think most people want that. But I don't think they're going to most people are not don't have enough foresight to catch that. So uh, but if you want to vote Democrat, you can see who's offering the most uh, goodies. I think it's Kamala Harris there. I think he said. So I'm going to go on here for a, a minute and uh, and address how the government takes your money by force and then spends it against you. So the whole electronic car thing has been tilted because they're very expensive. Uh, so most people can't afford them. <clears throat> And uh, but rich people, it really helps rich people because you get a tax credit uh, when you buy them and you get these special credits and the government kicks in the money. So whenever the government kicks in some money, that's taking your and my tax dollars and giving them away to somebody else. So if you're driving a gas car, you're actually helping people that are much wealthier than you gr drive an electric car. You're paying for it. They have less DMV fees. Uh, some of the power sources where they can go and plug in are free. And uh, so the Los Angeles, the newest thing, the, the, the U.S. government or the California government is trying to force, they're trying to eliminate all fossil fuels. So they're, they're working towards eliminating all oil drilling in California. That means uh, they don't want any, uh, they think it's damaging the environment. So no no drilling of oil or natural gas. So they're going to go to all electric. And then they're going to import the whatever oil we need. They're going to bring that in uh, by boat or whatever. Uh, but they're going to try to force most fossil fuel cars off the, off the road. And they're going to try to get by with things like trains to nowhere. But anyway, the Los Angeles City Hall is now going to install 100 new electric vehicle or EV chargers. Uh, available at public parking structures in City Hall and City Hall uh, downtown Los Angeles. In other words, places where you can plug in. One of the hesitancies people have about buying an electric car is they're going to get stranded with no place to uh, to juice up with the electricity. Because, you know, like when you go on a trip, you're very conscious of where the gas stations are, right? And particularly if you're going to head out across the desert or a long stretch and say, oh, we better stop and get gas. But there's lots and lots of places to fill up. But the cons but not every like fossil fuel fill up places like gas stations, we call gas stations. They don't have electric hookups. Right. And you can't just fill up with electric and like it like once you pull in, what's it take you? Ten minutes, five minutes to fill up with electric. I mean, with a gas a guy I, I met that had, had an electric car or maybe still has it. Sometimes it takes an, a half hour or an hour to fill up. And if you, if you use one of these superchargers, he said it, it wears down your batteries. So you want it, the slower the charge, the less stress on your battery. So, but he says you, you can't go very far with an electric car without recharging. You, you know, it's not like a hybrid that has gas and electric. If it's all electric, they don't go very far, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 miles, and then, then you got to recharge. So if you forget about it, you forget to plug it in at night, you're screwed, right? Or if you get downtown and you and somebody else has got the hookups, they're sitting at hookups, 
you're going to run out of power. So the big deal now is government's got to figure out how to put in more and more thousands, thousands and thousands of these electric chargers. Now, the interesting thing is the fossil fuel manu- fossil fuel is driving all the manufacturing to create the electricity and to create the 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 building of these EV charger units and to build the cars. It's so hypocritical. So they're taking our tax dollars that we don't even have anything to do with an EV car, right? And they're using our tax dollars for people that are benefiting, supposedly benefiting the country by EV. So they're going to install these level two chargers available to employees and the visiting public at the July one. Now I wonder if the employees of the state of California or LA will now be given free power, just like, you know, would they pay their gas? They won't pay their gas to commute to work, but will they pay their power? It says city hall striving to set the highest possible standard on sustainability, making it easier for our public service to take action on climate change. This whole climate change here is a contrived crisis. It is not any crisis. They have just made it up and now they're going to make everybody's life change to fit it. So now employees uh, will be able to plug in their cars at the office and Los Angeles is taking one more step forward in our efforts to improve air quality, reduce our dependence on fossil fuels and lead the global fight on climate change. Totally a crock of crap. That is that statement right there. The installation of these EV chargers, um, their overall goal is to support or directly install 4,000 EV chargers in municipal buildings or facilities by 2022. Uh, let's see. L.A. Los Angeles Department of Water and Power has a em- memorandum of understanding with an organization to provide $8,000 chargers provide 8000 per charger for equipment and insulation. It's amazing. It's a lot of money. Users can start a charging session in one of three ways via a mobile app available on app, uh, Apple app or Google Play, a traditional pay, payment kiosk, or by calling a number. I won't give it out of the air. It doesn't make any sense anyway. So it's interesting. LAW, LAD Water and power offers up to $500 rebates to residential customers for the purchase of a qualified home EV charger. See, so they give these rebates to what electric car owners that are very expensive cars that most, most of you aren't even going to buy. But if you buy one as a rich person, you're getting all the rebates. You think, Oh, how come the, so you get a $500 rebate and an additional 250 for the installation of a dedicated time of use meter for the charger. In other words, it, it, the meter comes on in the middle of the night to charge when electricity use is lower. Commercial program offers businesses, multi-unit dwellings, public parking lots, and public agencies a charger rebate of up to $5,000 per qualified level 2 240-volt single port charger and an additional 750 per extra charge port. Uh they're giving out 11 million point five in rebates to LADWP customers. Where did that money come from? From other people that don't get the money. 
right? They can't afford the electric car and aren't even into electricity and don't even believe in the crisis. LADWP has helped install more than 1,000 publicly available chargers in L.A. and has a goal of installing 10,000 commercial chargers and paying for them. Isn't that interesting? Well, it's pretty sad, but that's the situation we're in. And uh, we'll leave the rest of this for next week. We're coming to a close. So thank you for listening. And um, again, if you want to reach me, you can get me at Lou, L-O-U, at NoHostagesRadio.com. NoHostagesRadio.com. You can go check my any past episodes and uh, articles out at NoHostagesRadio.com, or you could text me at 530-713-1838, And, uh, you know, this week, if you run into somebody, a stranger, make sure you be kind to them, because the Bible says it could be an angel, and you don't even know it. So take care and uh, do something good for somebody this week. God bless you. People here tonight, we would especially like to welcome all the representatives of Illinois' law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them, everybody. Sweetheart of Mills, sweetheart of Mills, sugar to kiss, sugar to kiss.